The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to go to John chapter 1, and now we have finished the prologue in John chapter 1 and the first 18 verses of that. We'd like to begin in verse 19 and focus this portion of Scripture, focus on John the Baptist. We'll go ahead and read all of this context here, uh, at least through verse 28, looking at uh, John the Baptist and his ministry, his calling, and uh, the early parts of his ministry. John chapter 1 and in verse 19. This is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. And he said unto them, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Esaias, as said the prophet Esaias. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who cometh after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. And these things were done in Beth Bera, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So <clears throat> John, the cousin of Jesus Christ, right? Six months older um, than John, than, than Jesus Christ. And um, he is called upon, and, you, and he begins this very unique ministry of going out to the Jordan River, and he's, he's dressed very oddly, right? Uh, eating uh, locust and wild honey, you know, wearing a leathern girdle, and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, calling people generations of vipers and dunking people in water. You know, I mean, that, that's pretty, pretty unique scene going out there uh, in the wilderness in the Jordan River. And it's interesting, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, what did you go out there to see? What did you go out to see out in the wilderness? You know, uh, a reed shaking in the wind or something like that, man, and soft raiment, you know. Uh, a lot of people, uh, people in the first century, just like, just like us, uh, and just like those people in Athens in, in Acts chapter 17, sometimes we're always enamored by either seeing or hearing some new thing <laughs> and there was nothing more unique than this this guy out in the uh, out in the wilderness baptizing people in water with a with a different message and calling down the the leaders of religion in that day so then the pharisees heard about this and they sent some people out to ask i kind of feel sorry for these people right because you know john is uh i don't want to say he's um answering in riddles, but 
Uh, he's not giving them the answer they're looking for. And they, and it, at the end of the day, they're like, listen, we got to tell our supervisor something, right? <laughs> I mean, like I'm a, I'm a peon. I'm, I'm a Sanhedrin peon. The Pharisees told me to come out here and to get information on you. We got to tell them something, you know? Uh, and they asked him, who are you? Who are you? And he confessed and he denied. And he said, I am not that Christ. In verse 21, there are three figures, three figures that the Jewish people in that day were really expecting and looking for. First of all, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And um, the Messiah in the Old Testament, it's exp- particularly addressed in, um, in Daniel chapter 9 and the prophecy of the 70 weeks uh, when Messiah the Prince would come and then in the midst of one of those weeks, the Messiah would be, would be cut off. And that word Messiah means anointed, okay? And then we transfer over to the New Testament, and we have the title of Jesus Christ, uh, his title being Christ, Christos. The Greek there means anointed. So Old Testament Messiah, New Testament Christ. That's his title, right? Jesus is his given name, but Christ is his title. He is the anointed. And that's who the Jews were looking for. They were looking for an anointed leader. And he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah that's going to come. And I'm also not Elias. Or at least maybe he didn't understand that he was Elias. Um, Because uh, Jesus says that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Um, This is in Malachi chapter 4, this prophecy that concludes. If you think about this, this is the very last verse before the 400 silent years um, prior to John the Baptist, right? I mean, he, he was, he's considered to be the last of the prophets. There was 400 silent years and you had the last of the prophets and then you have Jesus Christ coming on the scene. So the very last verse before those 400 silent years began The Lord tells them in Malachi chapter 4 and in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, Jesus says that John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, which is kind of interesting. So either John is just being humble Or maybe he didn't even fully understand the fullness of the prophecy that he was fulfilling in the midst of his ministry. Uh, It seems that he at least had some degree of understanding that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But, But maybe he didn't have the full understanding that he was the fulfillment of that uh, coming of Elijah before, uh, before the coming of Christ to bring unity in families, right? To, to unite the fathers and the children and the children to the fathers. And um, he did that by a message of repentance, right? There's nothing that brings unity of the family closer together than that family repenting and serving God together. You know, I, I love the pictures that we have, especially in the book of Acts. I think about the Philippian jailer uh, when he was converted and he was baptized and all of his house 
was baptized. You know, you're going to be saved and your house. I think Peter told Cornelius because um, there's going to be a, a saving, delivering effect that's going to affect every single member of your, of your family. And that, that's, that's the power of the gospel that John began to preach, to unite families in closer fellowship together. <clears throat> and then the third figure that the Jews were looking for, a Messiah, and then Elijah, and then that prophet. And um, you don't have to turn over here, but I just want to read this for you here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and in verse 17. The Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet, capital P, prophet. I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So I'm bringing uh, Messiah, and, and they were fulfilled in the same person, the Messiah, the Christ, and that prophet was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you don't listen to this prophet, I will require it of him, right? right? He was the plumb line. And rejection of Jesus Christ, particularly of the Jews, is the main, one of the main reasons, perpetual rejection of Jesus Christ is one of the main reasons why God um, removed the natural branch and grafted in the Gentiles and why the Jews received so much judgment culminating in, in 70 AD in the destruction of Jerusalem. So those are the three figures that the Jews were looking for, the Messiah, the coming of Elijah, and that prophet. And he said, I'm not, I'm not any of them. And then that, verse 22, they said, Who art thou? <clears throat> Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Esaias. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 and look at the more full quotation of this prophecy that John was, was quoting and that he was the fulfillment of. Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> and you probably know that uh, the, the book of Isaiah is somewhat of a Bible in miniature. Uh, you have 66 books. You have 39 books that are focusing more on on uh, judgment and uh, the Lord uh, judging a lot of the, the enemies of, uh, of Israel. But then you have a distinct change in Isaiah chapter 40, and that corresponds to now the, uh, the message of, of grace and the gospel that we have in the New Testament. So how does this, how does this second portion, this uh, almost New Testament portion, if you will, of the book of Isaiah begin in Isaiah chapter 40. Well, it begins with the message. Now, now John's message, he, he had a specific, <laughs> John had a specific calling and a specific ministry, okay? And he had a ministry of, uh, it says um, in verse 4, every valley shall be exalted, but especially every mountain shall be made low, okay? He had some construction work to do. You know, he's, he's really John the bulldozer. He had a lot of work to do. He had to fill up ones that were made low 
but also he plowed down some people that were pretty high and mighty. Okay. So his tone, if you'll, let me put it like that. His, his role of tearing down the elites, the generation of vipers of the Pharisees, you know, he called them a generation of vipers and, and he, he did not pull any punches. Now he didn't have the, the, blessed privilege of preaching quite as joyful of a message uh, that we have in the New Testament church because right. uh, he had a specific calling and he had to deal with specific people at that time and he had to take a very tough tone because of the calling that he was called to and the environment that he was in. But even though uh, his tone was a little bit more adversarial <laughs> uh, against against the uh, the Pharisees still he was the one that initiated the message of the gospel of comfort ye comfort ye Amen. my people right he was the one who had the privilege of of uh, we're going to save that for a message all by itself there in the next verse in, in verse 29 behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sin of the world and he began the message of comfort of the gospel, right? He was the first one to proclaim that message. So here we have this tone shift in uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, crying to her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. And she hath received the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And that's the message of the New Testament gospel, right? It's comfort, it's peace, it's joy in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But before Christ came, there was a man that had a specific calling and a specific purpose, and that was John. Verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. So John's ministry was twofold. And one of them was accomplished by performing the other one, if you will. Uh, you had this environment here in, in, um, in early first century where you had an elite group of religious people who were focused on legalism and, and bondage. And they, they loved that yoke of bondage, not being on their own neck, but they loved putting that yoke of bondage of the law on the necks of other people, That's right. right? And what did that do? Well, there were good, godly, wholesome rank and file Jews, right? Who walked around all the time with that yoke of bondage around about their neck and they were made very low because of the high and mighty prideful Pharisees. So by tearing down that religious elitism of the Pharisees and, and him removing their authority and their power to put in, uh, in bondage uh, the, the uh, rest of the people by fear, you know, think about how many people um, did not follow Jesus Christ because they were afraid of being cast out of the synagogue. Right. And, and that's not just you can't come to, uh, to church on Sunday. If you're cast out of the synagogue, then you got on the religious elites blacklist and you weren't able. And it's not just, again, that uh, 
you, you weren't able to partake in, in public worship, it affected the financial sector. If you had a business, if you were self-employed and you owned your own business, then no Jews would do any business with you. Otherwise, if they did, they would be retaliated uh, back by those in the Sanhedrin, right? Now, you just have this environment where you have a small group of religious elitism that is making all the rest of the people be in bondage and walk around uh, with just sorrow uh, because of uh, them saying and giving the pretense that your righteousness has to exceed uh, the Pharisees for you to even have a chance to go to heaven. So when Jesus came, when Jesus came and he started tearing down that structure of religious elitism that put the people in bondage, what did that do to those people that were in bondage that had been made low for so many years? Well, it exalted them, yeah. right? Because now all of a sudden they're feeling the, the liberty that Christ has fulfilled the law and praise the God we're, praise God we're under grace and we're not Amen. under the law nowadays, right? But those people had lived in in the uh, the bondage of that religious elitism and retaliatory tactics that if you don't do what we say, then you're going to be cast out of the synagogue. So he came to tear down those mountains of the Pharisees, right? <laughs> And by doing that is how he built up the valleys of those poor, faithful Amen. saints that had been walking around under the bondage of the law uh, because of the false teaching of the Pharisees. So, the valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places shall be made plain. <clears throat> And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry. Okay, so this is speaking particularly of uh, John the Baptist. He's been called to be a voice. He's been called to be a voice. And what is he called to cry? What shall I cry? <laughs> so this, they, they've had um, 400 silent years. They have not had a prophet of the Lord for all those centuries. And now God is now sending a prophet to unite families, fathers and children, to tear down that religious elitism and to build up the people that have been in bondage. And what's his message? What's his message? You know, it, it's not the health and wealth, prosperity gospel and all this kind of stuff. You know, you would think after all those silent years... Uh, what's going to be the, the message that God's going to send to his people? Well, it's, it's going to just make us feel good, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, scratch our itch. Instead, what's the message that he was called to preach? All flesh is grass, and the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. <laughs> Sounds a lot like total depravity, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like good old Baptist Tulip doctrine starting with the T, right? <laughs> that you got to tear people down in their, in their sin before you can build them up in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. All flesh is as grass. And, and that's the message that John the Baptist brought. The grass withereth and the flower thereof fadeth. 
because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. We're that grass. Right. You see, I mean, he's not just talking about agriculture. We're the grass that fades away. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Now, that's certainly true of the divinely inspired and preserved word of God. God's promised he's going to preserve it until his second coming. But don't forget how Jesus was introduced at the beginning of the Gospel of John. He's the Word. He's the Word. And the scriptures that we have is really a testimony and an expression of the capital W, eternal Word, right? So the reason why the written Word, we can have confidence in it that it's going to stand forever is because it is a testimony and, and breathed out by the eternal Word. So the word of God will stand forever. So this was the, uh, the ministry of John the Baptist. And he was called um, to be a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Let's go back to, <clears throat> back to John chapter 1, verse 23. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I think it's so important, especially for those in the ministry to make sure that we keep our perspective to know what we have really been called to be. At the end of the day, we're not called really for people to really know our name. We're called to just be a voice, a voice that's crying in the wilderness. And there's a lot of problems that come both from, the preacher and from the church when a man becomes something bigger than a voice Amen. because he begin, begins to be exalted above measure and he begins to have too much influence and you know the best of men are only men at best and none of us can handle that very well so we have to make sure that we keep the right perspective that at the end of the day I'm just a voice I'm not that important I'm really not that important I'm a servant in the body of Christ that's trying to use the spiritual gifts and the calling that I've been given to the best of my ability to serve the Lord, to glorify the Lord, and to edify the rest of the body. And it just so happens that my calling is displayed in a more public way, but my calling is not of greater value than those that have been given the spiritual gift of exhortation to go and minister to someone one-on-one that nobody else knows about. We're just a voice. We're just a voice. And it's so important for us to keep that perspective. No one needs to know my name. I don't need to be exalted. Just listen to the words that hopefully are coming out under under the influence and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the voice, and if you have ears to hear that voice, spiritual ears to hear, then you give God the glory for that. Because at the end of the day, the ministry is nothing more than a voice that does exactly, we should do the exact same thing that this voice does in chapter, in verse 29, which is point toward the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That is the the declaration that our voice is supposed to declare. It's to, our, our focus 
should always be to deflect attention from ourselves and to put the focus on the Lamb. You see, that's what John the Baptist did when all of his uh, disciples, this is in John chapter 3, they're getting all concerned because they're losing their following. And John the Baptist says, don't be concerned because people are leaving us. If that's the case, then I'm fulfilling my ministry exactly like I've been called to do. I'm being successful if nobody is listening to me anymore. <laughs> if, if, if not a single person is following me anymore, then I have been successful in the ministry and the calling that I have been charged with. Amen. And what a, what a blessing for the John the Baptist to have that, that contentment in his calling. And he didn't want to be exalted above measure. Instead, he, he probably understood the danger of that. And he said, no, he must increase, but I must decrease. The focus has to be on the lamb. <laughs> it can't be on me. Because when too much focus gets on me, we always have problems. When we, have, when we get focus off the lamb, the voice points toward the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he says here, verse 26, I baptize with water, and there cometh one among you uh, whom you know not. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, again, you know, I, I don't necessarily, he said standing one among you. You know, does that mean that Jesus was, was there in the audience that day? Um, or he was just among, among the Jews? You know, it's just so interesting to me, the interaction, the interaction of Jesus before, you know, during those first 30 years before um, he was called, you know, because John the Baptist, I mean, he was his cousin. He saw Jesus, but there was a specific appointed time that this voice held his tongue until the time came, right? right? When he baptized him and then, and then uh, the father pronounced, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. But Jesus was, was among them for 30 years, yes. right? And John the Baptist interacted with him just as a friend and as a, as a, family member and there did not come a time during those 30 years it seems like it kind of kept he kind of kept this knowledge to himself but there came a time at the appointed time where he was called upon to point and say this is the lamb when Jesus ministry had become public and he says he it is who cometh after me and he is preferred before me whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose and we won't spend too much time on this, but there's this beautiful picture in the Old Testament in the context of a kinsman redeemer, that if you do not do your role as a kinsman redeemer, we see this in the book of Ruth, that as a sign of shame, you would walk around with your shoe unloosed. Well, I'll tell you, Jesus' shoe is not unloosed, right? <laughs> He's the perfect, successful kinsman redeemer. And, and uh, John says here, He's preferred before me and his shoe latchet. I am not worthy to bow down and, and loose, and he wouldn't loose it because he is a successful kinsman redeemer. I want to highlight <clears throat> one more situation uh, on John the Baptist as we, as we close uh, from Matthew chapter 11. And uh, Jesus says a little bit later here in this chapter that there is not one born of women that is greater than John the Baptist. I mean, what an amazing compliment, Amen. right? Mm -hmm. What an amazing compliment from the Son of God. Um, I had this thought 
so heavily impressed upon me um, a few weeks ago. Just, just the amazing blessing and, and humility. And I mean, I, I don't know all the words that, that go into it. But just, just the reality of the fact that God chose me to be called into the ministry. Yeah. I mean, you look out at all of the people in the world that God could, could call to preach, his, to be a steward of the gospel of Christ. And it doesn't make any sense to me that Jesus, that God would look at me and say, I'm going to pick him. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I feel you, brother. It doesn't make any sense to me. And that's just me in my ministerial role and trying to serve. In the, but what an amazing commendation that God chose John the Baptist to be his forerunner, right? I mean, I think about that with Mary a lot. I mean, of all the women, of all the women in the history of the world, God looked out over all of the women in all of time, and he picked her. Right. He picked her. And he looked out with all of the people in all of time, and he picked John the Baptist to be his boy. I mean, boy, you want to talk? You know, I've been in a lot of good church meetings, I tell you. But boy, to have been in the audience when John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Boy, they didn't, it didn't get any better than that. He's the one who had a chance to say that. I mean, what a what, boy! When uh, if, you, if you're in the ministry and you feel the spirit of God, there is no closer fellowship that you have with God Amen. than when the spirit of God is speaking through you and in in the preaching of the word. And there is a special connection and fellowship and movement of the spirit that you have. When God uses and moves you in that way. But man, I can only imagine how the Spirit of God was moving and welling up in John the Baptist when he had the privilege. God chose him to say it. That's, that's what I'm getting at. God chose him of all the people, of all the people in the history of the world. God chose John the Baptist to be the one to point at him and to baptize Jesus. Yeah. To baptize Jesus and then to point at him and say, behold, the Lamb of God. Wow, what an amazing commendation that God had that much confidence in you. And, and you know, that's what, that's what gets me all nervous about God choosing me in the ministry. That means God had confidence in me. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I want to be reverent, but that's not a good decision by the <laughs> Lord, right? I mean, that's foolish. You know, don't put that much confidence in, but God had confidence in me enough to entrust me with this. And boy, look at all the confidence he had in John the Baptist, yeah. right? And he said, among those that are born of women, there's not anybody that's greater than John the Baptist. But I tell you, I'm so, I'm so thankful for these glimpses that we have into the low moments of people in Scripture, right? Right, right. You know, it's true. And, and who's the man that this, this language is used to describe? Elijah, men of like passions. You know, Elijah, he's, he's uh, destroying the false prophets and calling down fire from heaven. And a day later, he's running scared because Jezebel threatened him. And he said, Lord, take my life. I'm the only one left. It's not worth living anymore. Right? 
And John the Baptist, I mean, boy, if you think your faith can't waver, Amen. John the Baptist was the one who heard the voice of the Father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm... He's the one who pointed out, this is the Lamb. And you know what? He got down in prison. He got discouraged. He got lonely by himself for doing the right thing, for standing up against wickedness and standing up against immorality. And then he sends his disciples and says, are you he that should come or do we look for another? I mean, John the Baptist was, I mean, like, he's the one who heard God say, this is my beloved son. And he gets down, he gets discouraged, and he's questioning the things that he knows that he knows. Right. <laughs> Amen. Well, what do you do when you begin to be quick? Well, you need to be reminded of what you already know. Amen. Right? Amen. That's why, that's why the Word of God is so important. It's so important. Because... We're all going to reach these points where we, where we get discouraged. The circumstances of life are bearing down upon us. And we're in difficult circumstances. And we have to be reminded of what we are. John knew this. Yes. You know, he, he goes and he says, look, go and show John again. Right? He knows this stuff. Just remind him. Remind him of what he already knows. Go and show John again the things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. <clears throat> and then he goes on to describe the ministry of John the Baptist in a little bit more detail. What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing, you're in king's houses. Uh, but what went ye out to see a prophet? Yea, I say, I say unto you, more than a prophet. You know, that, that's interesting, right? He says, I'm not that prophet. And he wasn't the fulfillment of that Deuteronomy prophet. But he said, you're, you're going out. And the people regard, you know, that, that's why um, they were nervous about killing John. Is because the people regarded him as a prophet, right? And they correctly did. But they went out to see a prophet. And, but he says, I'm telling you, he's more than a prophet. That's right. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, uh, which shall prepare thy way before him. Verily I send you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now that's something, isn't it? You know, there's, there's not a single person in this world that Jesus says is greater than John the Baptist, but yet at the same time, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, there were some people in uh, Acts chapter 19, they were baptized under John's baptism. <clears throat> and they did exactly what they should have done. That's our right. scriptural principle for, for rebaptism. They did exactly what they should have done with the message that they heard. They heard a directive that, that preached... Uh, John's message and his message told them to be baptized. They did exactly what they should have done under the message that they heard and received. There came a time where they received more information and they wanted to identify themselves with a more full understanding of the gospel and they desired to be rebaptized to identify themselves of, you know, John's message was good and appropriate and he and it was exactly correct. In the moment. Yes. But the message now is not 
behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. No, now the message is, behold the Lamb of God has taken away. Right? It's, it's past tense. It, it is finished. You know, it's not that the Lamb is coming. It's that the Lamb has come. And John was only looking forward to that. And, you know, he never even had the, he's the one who baptized Jesus, but he never had the privilege of being re-baptized, or being baptized, rather. Um, now, I think he had a good conscience. It starts about, uh, you have the answer of a good conscience uh, when you're baptized. I think he was serving the Lord, and he had, he had the answer of a good conscience. But I'll tell you, there's, there's something that John the Baptist never got, you know, he never got to experience. He had to do the, We should be very thankful. We should be very thankful for those that come before us that are willing to do the hard work to make our path easier when we show up. Amen. Right? There's a lot of people that have raised up valleys and tore down mountains that have made the way a whole lot smoother than it was before that when I showed up, I didn't have to start everything from scratch, Amen. right? Amen. But John the Baptist did, right? He did all of the hard work on the front end and right when it came about time for him to really enjoy it, and don't feel bad for him, he went right into the presence of, of God when he was beheaded, right? Don't feel bad for him. You know, he had a a heavenly perspective of the kingdom of heaven. But you know, he, got, he never got to experience the joys of the kingdom of God that was established in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He never got to experience that. And the very next verse, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. That, that just talks about a tenacity, right? right? That's, not, that's not talking about, obviously... Um, being violent and, and uh, hurting people in the kingdom. But I'll tell you, we need to have a, a zeal and a focus and a tenacity to press into the kingdom that is urgent. Amen. It is urgent. Almost like that front line of soldiers that are running in the battle. It needs to be urgent and it needs to not be passive and lukewarm. Right? It needs to have some tenacity to it, some violence and some force to lay hold of eternal life. And if you will, verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the next message that John the Baptist has is where he points to Jesus Christ. And says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And that's been the message of the gospel ever since the coming of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb. The Lamb is the focus of the kingdom. Amen. And I pray that God will bless us to be faithful, to serve Him diligently and faithfully, to understand the measure of our calling, to serve Him to the best of our ability in the midst of that calling. But ultimately, the focus is never on the ministry. It's never on the man. We're simply a voice that points toward the Lamb. And we certainly pray that God will bless us to fulfill that calling faithfully. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.